But if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be all over the place today in the Word of God. Um, but I want to talk to you guys today about worship. And many of you know uh, that we were going to start a series on revival back in October, and I, and I put it on pause because I felt the Lord was leading us in a different direction until January. And now we're in January out of nowhere. Where did this come from? Uh, and we are going to start our series on revival, I've, uh, but I, don't, I didn't want to start it on the first Sunday of January as I knew that many would be away. Uh, but I did want to take the next two Sundays, this one and next week, to kind of precursor our series on revival, to kind of give it a primer. Uh, uh, and we want, I want to look at what happens here in the corporate worship setting. And then next week, we're going to look at our conduct our speech and how we prepare ourselves and then uh, I'll be away and Tyler will preach and then we will start our series on revival. But I want to say, when I say worship, when I talk about worship, most of our minds goes right automatically thinking to the singing portion that we just concluded in our service. We think about singing songs and everything like that, and, and, and worship is far more than that. But I don't want you to downplay singing either. Singing is really important. The Bible is full of commands. One of the, the major commands in the Bible, the most commands, is that we would sing songs to the Lord. But I just don't want you to make worship so narrow that the only time you are quote-unquote worshiping is when you're singing songs at church. Worship is your life. Actually, you have been designed by God to worship. Every single person has been designed by God to be a worshiper. And here's what I can say is universally true regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your cultural nuance. Every human being exists in the world. And here is what you will see is that humankind, oh, I should turn it on, uh, loves shares, and celebrates. This is what we do as humans. We love, we sh uh, we, sorry, we love, celebrate, and we share. That is a universal human experience, and we can't help but do that. We have been wired to that, and we have been designed to do that. You can go to the most technologically advanced city in the world, and you will see people loving, celebrating, in sharing. You can go to the most impoverished country in the world and you will see people loving, celebrating, and sharing. Everyone in this room, you all love, celebrate, and share. Uh, and if you're thinking, well, Aaron, my three-year-old kid never shared his toys, that's not what I mean by sharing because mine doesn't either. But rather sharing by including others or at least trying to include others in what we love and celebrate. Because we love something and celebrate it, we want to include others in that in a sort of way to consummate it. We share what we love and celebrate, and that's universally true. And, and this love, celebrate, and share is a definition of worship. This is what we do when we worship. All human beings worship. They worship. What they worship might vary, but that they worship does not. Every single human worships. Even if you consider how humans are made up and how we operate at, at the very base level, this is everywhere. Let me just give you a quick example. You go to a new restaurant, you try a plate of food, it absolutely blows your mind with flavor, and what do you do? You start running around telling everybody just how amazing that plate of food is. And, and you just get passionate about everything on the menu. I've had 
many conversations like this. People come to me like, oh man, you have to try this new restaurant. Everything's so good from the mains to the appetizers. And pastor, if you like margaritas, I'm not saying you do, but if you like margaritas, they have some of the best. Not that I know. I just drink water and read my Bible. But just so you know, they have a lot of good stuff there. Okay, so, uh, and so what are they doing when they do this? What they're doing is they're sharing. They're evangelizing for that restaurant. We do this with movies that impact us. We do this with new devices and technological stuff that we buy. We do this even with our jobs and our houses. We can't help but do this. Even if you're sitting here and you're kind of a cynic like, I'm not doing that, then all you're doing is loving and celebrating and sharing that you're not doing it. You're worshiping the fact that you're a cynic. And you can't get out of this. It's how we are fundamentally designed as human beings. We can't help but do it. This is how we've been programmed, created by God. And this is what we mean when we talk about worship. That we love and celebrate God and we want to share him. So where you place your hope is imperative to your joy. And what I mean by that is if you bank your life on your spouse, on your kids, on your job, on your bank account, those things cannot bear under the pressure and weight of worship. They weren't designed to hold the weight of worship. And because they weren't designed to hold your worship, they will crumble. And when they crumble, they're going to disappoint you, and they're going to betray you. And, And what they will do when you worship anything that's not designed to hold your worship So the only thing designed to hold your worship is God. This will create in you as a behavior pattern that goes against God's good design for your life. You will constantly be left in lack. You'll constantly be wanting more. You will not be living the life that Christ has purchased for you. And because we can't help but worship, Many of us are worshiping the wrong things in our lives. And, and, and many, of us things, uh, many of us put things on pedestals that we shouldn't have on pedestal. And when we worship the wrong thing, when we ascribe value and worth to the wrong thing, what we're actually doing is sabotaging our ability to experience life and life to the full. Romans 12, 1 says, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because that is our reasonable or spiritual act of worship. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we read that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we are to do to what? The glory of God. Or another way you can say it is in worship of God. So we are to eat and drink, but even everything else we do is actually supposed to be done in regard to worship. Everything is worship. Isn't that amazing? The expanse of worship actually encompasses the entirety of our lives. The subject of worship is far too large to ever jam into one sermon, especially after New Year's Eve, right? Like, it's just too much. And this literally could be a series, and we could talk about worship at home. We could talk about worship at work. We could talk about worship in your friendships and worship in your finances. And some of you are like, well, I need to stop you right there. If we're going to talk about worship and finances, we should be talking about lament, okay? But, uh, uh, but we can. All of these subjects, finances, friendships, family, work, are all designed to worship God in. We can worship God in the mundaneness of life. I call this revival in the everydayness of life. Renewal in the everydayness of life. And I would argue that we need to worship God in all of these categories. But we're not going to tackle that today. We're not going to tackle the, ro- the, wide, or the wide range 
of, of, of the worship subject today. Maybe one day we'll get to that and we'll narrow in on those things. But what I want to narrow in today is what happens between these four walls when we corporately gather as a body of Christ. What's going on when God's people come together? What's happening here right now, today even? And I want us to come at it from a little bit different of an angle because there's been lots of things said about the corporate gathering, but a lot of the things are just incomplete. And what they lack in their completion robs us and puts us a type of pressure on us that we are not meant to carry as worshipers of God. And throughout Scripture we see that God has been very serious about people coming together. People coming together when worshiping. He's given us words of warning about it. He is giving us words of admonishment and words of encouragement. For example, let's look at Leviticus 8. And I know some of you are like, oh, what verse in Leviticus 8? That's my favorite book. I read it all the time. Well, <laughs> Leviticus 8 says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and their anointing oil, and the bowl of their sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting and Moses said to the congregation this is the thing that the Lord had what commanded to be done so what we see here is that the Lord had specific things laid out for how his people were to gather and how his people were to worship this is called the regulative principle of worship God the Bible is filled with ways that God says this is acceptable worship and this is not and we need to take heed those words. Now, God, what we see here is that God is doing something among the gathered people that he's not simply doing with them individually. I'm not saying we're going to start bringing lambs or bulls here on Sunday morning, okay? But we're going to read more than just Leviticus. We're going to go through many areas of the Bible today, and we're going to see on repeat that God is up to something in the corporate gathering that he's not up to when it's just you by yourself in your closet. The idea that is popular in our day and age, especially it's been amplified after COVID, is that you can love God and not, uh, not be a part or participate or love the body of Christ. That is ludicrous. And actually the Bible would suggest that your salvation is in question if you hate the body of Christ, if you forsake the gathering of Christ. Because God has not only saved you to himself, the Bible says, but he's also saved you to a people. And yes, those people are messed up. And yes, those people hurt you at times. And yes, those people gossip about you at times because he has called you to an imperfect community. The church, the local church is a lot like a marriage. It doesn't always make you happy, but the thing it always does is make you holy, right? Because it constantly points out faults in you. And so when you stand between the perfect mirror of scripture before you every Sunday, you should be every day, but every Sunday at least, you will see where God is refining you. Just like you can pretend to be a great person at church, but your wife knows that you're a jerk at home, right? Your marriage makes you holy. You can only pretend so much in public, but in private, people know the sinner you are. So the church doesn't always make you happy, but it is going to make you holy. So here's a few more examples from Scripture. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more that you say, see the day drawing near. How can you find encouragement unless you gather? 
Another great one is Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. What a beautiful verse. And chapter 3 of Colossians is all about in the context of spiritual formation, where spiritual formation occurs. That it was, and this wasn't given for us just for our quiet time. This is actually meant to be read aloud in the assembly, to be proclaimed in the assembly of the saints. And I could literally take every text that I just read to you, throw them away, and plug in 10 more verses about the importance of gathering and God's zeal about the gathering. Because what you'll find throughout the whole Bible is these festivals and feasts in the Old Testament throughout the prophets and kings of Israel where all the people of God were meant to come in and gather. All work was to cease and they were to gather because God does something corporately that although he might do individually, he does not do it with the sheer force that he does when we come together in corporate worship. So implied in all these texts about the people of God coming together is a real profound truth that we quickly pass over. Usually when we talk about worship, even worship in the gathering, we're talking about coming into the presence of God, being in the presence of God. We want, we need, we desire the presence of God, this kind of emotional stirring. And this is how people tend to speak about worship, that it's always this fiery thing, that tears are going to be streaming down in your face, that the Shekinah glory is going to fall, and that it's going to be some type of silver bullet, that if you just worship well enough this Sunday, all of your problems are going to be gone. Is that true? And don't hear me wrong. The, the presence of God is a beautiful thing. And we should want it. We should desire it. We should cry for it. We should be asking God to be present in a way that is different from his omnipresence, right? His omnipresence is the truth that God is everywhere at once in his fullness. So God is fully in this room right now, and he is fully at the farthest expanse of the universe equally. God is everywhere at once. But what we're talking about here when we talk about worship, we're talking about what theologians call the manifest presence or special presence of God. So God in the room in such a way that is weighty, that is thick, that is stirring and transforming. And that's how we talk a lot. We talk a lot about presence. And what happens is when the emphasis is only on presence, is, and there's nothing wrong with presence, we should desire the special manifest presence, but we get lost in all of that, and, it, and we lose the faith to believe that God is working on us and in us whether we feel it or not. Whether you have some type of experience or not, God is working on you today, even right now, and you might not even know it. The reality is when, when we come together, God is not just present, but he's active. And that's where we need to focus as well, his active activity. In the reading of the word of God that we did, in the singing of the word of God, what we did, in the praying of God's people together and what we did, in the confessing of our sins corporately, which we don't do well in Baptist churches, in the crying out that, God occur, uh, that, that all occurred here when we come together, God is at work right now shaping you. He's at work molding you. He's moving us together closer to the image of Christ, whether you have some type of spiritual high or not. So when we gather, it's not nearly about what we bring to God. Hear this clearly. Worship is not about what you bring to God. Rather, it's what God is doing among us. And what he is doing among us stirs our worship. 
Think about how this works. We have been trained at church at large. I know I was trained this way uh, uh, anyways, but is that worship is all about what you bring to God. You have to bring your A-game to God. You have to bring what the Bible calls an offering of praise to God. And that leads to some really silly thinking. That leads to a kind of smiley, spirit-sparkly idea of worship that is incompatible with life in a broken world. If you think the onus of worship is on you and not on God's activity, that opens the door to all types of legalism that doesn't please the heart of God. That is you just trying to hop through the motions of worship, trying to please God like the prophets of Baal. Look at me, God. Look at me. Please bless me. Look how good I'm worshiping you. It stresses you out. It tires you out. Psalm 51 says, The broken and contrite spirit I will never despise. God loves the mourner. God loves the broken one. The one who doesn't have enough strength to smile. The one who couldn't even fathom to raise his arms or hands. And in the new economy of worship that we have subscribed to, in the economy of the supernatural, unbelievable, emotional experience, the brother or sister who's exhausted or who is heartbroken has no space in that worship service. Because they have to smile. They have to lift their hands. They have to clap. They have to jump. They have to even dance. But they can't because they're exhausted. There's no space in this new economy for that broken brother or sister just to fall on their knees and go, God, I'm not going to make it. I don't think I'm going to make it this week, God. I have no energy left to praise you. I don't think I'm going to make it. But Psalm 51 says that's worship. That's worship. And when you think about worship in terms of what you bring opposed to what God is doing, what you're doing is you're robbing yourself of the ability to believe by faith that God has not abandoned you. That God is at work in you right now. And really, you're being dishonest about what you actually bring to worship. Like, yes, God delights in our singing, but you really think your voice in the spans of all the worship of the universe is the thing that gets God going? Like, you're being dishonest about your A-game anyways. The idea that we must bring something to worship puts unneeded stress and weight on our shoulders that we are not meant to carry. And we need to fight against the temptation that worship is all about what I bring. Because that will just discourage you. That will just leave you, that you'll leave church feeling run down and more tired than the, than the moment you walk through the doors. Because you've become a slave to experience and not truly communing with the God of the universe. C.S. Lewis says you're content with making mud pies in the slums rather than enjoying the holiday at the sea. Let me sum up my whole argument with this one sentence. Worship in the gathering is receiving God's action in faith and gratitude throughout the work of the Spirit, through the work of the Spirit. That's what happens when we gather. What worship looks like when we gather is is that we believe by faith that God is working on us. This puts the right perspective on worship that when you come together, you're not coming and wasting your time. You're coming in and the God of the universe is working on you. He is transforming you and he is changing you every single Sunday. And yes, there will be seasons when you feel that. You're going to tangibly feel that. And you will have emotions and affections stirred by God, by the very God of the universe that he is working on you. But you must always remember this fundamental truth that whether you feel it or not, it's happening. 
It's happening right now as I'm talking to you. And if you don't feel it, that doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Don't believe that lie like, oh, I must, have done, I must not be worshiping properly. I must not be giving my A game. Maybe I forgot to repent of a sin that I forgot about, so God is just not happy with me. Or maybe this is what you say a lot, well, the worship team just didn't do it for me that Sunday. Oh, baloney. Baloney. Because that's entertainment Christianity. And entertainment Christianity is not real Christianity. And it's just a bunch of people who are enslaved to experience, but yet have yet to experience the true living God. Honestly, it doesn't hurt my feelings when I hear people say, you know what, worship just wasn't that good that Sunday. And my first thought is, and I have to control myself, is that's fine because we weren't worshiping you anyways. <laughs> right? We were worshiping God. Worship, worship it, 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 it's not about how good it makes you feel. Worship, at the end of the day, is about God and giving Him glory and ascribing Him glory, whether it makes you feel warm and fuzzy or not. Worship is a lot like watching your children grow. You can stare at your kids all day long, 24-7, for months and months and months, and you will never see them grow. Test me on this. It might be weird, but just stare at your kids for a couple months. Don't break eye contact. Just watch them and stare at them. And you can do that for months and months and months, and you'll never notice that they grow. Because here's how it works. All of a sudden, they'll say a word right. All of a sudden, you'll go to put on pants that fit yesterday, and now they're too short. Their clothes don't fit. And I think every parrot I have ever met, and I'm experiencing this right now, you put your kid down to bed, and he comes up the stairs the next morning, and he's taller. He's a totally different kid. And you're like, who are you? Who's this stranger? They look different. It's like, oh, that's not the baby I put to bed last night. It happens all of a sudden. And it's the same with how we grow spiritually. When we focus on it, we're looking at it. It's kind of like losing weight. You don't see it all the time until one day your pants fit better. God is actively working on us whether we see it or feel it or not. And the anticipation to come and gather together as the people of God, the desire, the longing to be together is not, oh, I have things to bring to the Lord. No, I have come in today because the God of glory is going to work on me. Let that be your attitude when you come. Maybe I'm going to get to feel that. Maybe I'm not. But I know he is going to work on me, that he will transform me, that he is moving me closer, more to the image of Christ, whether I feel it or not. This is what God is after when he tells the nation of Israel to gather and celebrate and to think about his name. It's not that they're bringing something to God that he's lacking. Our worship, God didn't design us to worship him because he was lacking anything. He has perfect relationship in the Trinity. He doesn't need our worship. We don't worship because God is lacking. We worship because we're lacking. It's what God is doing on us, that he is accomplishing something in our togetherness. And he has designed us to accomplish in our togetherness that he's not accomplishing when we're far off on our own. When we're living that, 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 uh, that lone wolf Christianity which isn't Christianity. He has called us to a body, imperfect as it is. It has been said that no man can have God as his father who does not have the church as his mother. Something divine is happening in this space when we step from the natural into the supernatural. We're standing in the presence of the King of Kings. Where the word is preached and read aloud, God is speaking to us. That's true. Earlier we stood up and we read loudly the word of God. 
And God spoke to us. And when we cry out for his help, the Bible says he hears us. And the Bible also says if he hears us, he will answer us. And all of that just happened in this service. And it's happening every time we come together. It happens in communion that we're going to take in a few minutes. It happens in baptism. It happens in in song. It happens in the reading of God's word. It happens in the preaching of God's word. It happens as we gather together. God has been at work, whether you're feeling it or not. He has been chiseling you. He has been sanding you. He has been moving you forward today. And that happens every time you come together as the church. Worship is not what I bring. It's what God is up to. And if you're hearing me and you have a pretty good knowledge of your Bible, you probably have this question, okay, I'm tracking with you, Aaron, but what do you do with the hundreds and hundreds of texts in the Bible that talk about shouting to God, singing to God, clapping to God, bowing to God, and yes, even dancing? What do we do with these texts? Well, let me try to explain. And if you remember back to the definition on the screen that worship in the gathering is receiving God's action in faith and gratitude through the work of the Spirit, I think all of those verses that I've mentioned find themselves caught up in the gratitude portion of our working definition, that God is working on us. So because he is working on us in the gathering, we, it produces worship in us. We don't worship God so that he will work on us. You get the difference? So we're not coming into the presence saying, God, please work on me, please work on me, and maybe if we worship hard enough, he will. Rather, no, we come in and he works on you. And because he works on you, you have gratitude. And from that gratitude produces worship. And maybe that worship is, is being emotionally stirred by God and you're clapping and you're singing and you're rejoicing. Or maybe it's you just sitting and crying and weeping. We should desire to be emotionally stirred by God. But we shouldn't start worshiping that experience either. We come together as children of God in the gathering by faith. And we believe that God has not abandoned us. That he is working on us. That he's changing us. And that he is moving us more and more towards looking like Jesus. And then in that gratitude, things start to overflow. Thank you, Jesus. Out of that gratitude, this is what theologians tend to call the postures of praise. Out of the overflow of gratitude, we sing loudly. We shout, we clap, we bow, we stand, and we dance. But because no one is a carbon copy of another in the same worship service, we might have one rejoicing over here while the other one is broken over here, sitting and mourning and weeping. And it's not like one day God is like, well, the weeper's going to join the dancer, and then we, and that will be deemed as worship. The Lord sees both, and he says, that's my body. Some are rejoicing, some are mourning, and this is worship. Here's the problem I think the church has, and not just, I'm not saying just our church, I'm talking the church at large, is that we have been stunted by the desire for the spectacular. We chase experiences as humans, I don't know why, but that's what we do. We love experiences. We desire the spectacular. You hear, but I want you to hear this, that it's in the ordinary graces of day-to-day life that God most shapes us. Let me speak from experience for a moment and historically as well. I have seen this with my own eyes, and it's riddled in the history books of the church, what I'm about to say. But I want to precursor it with this. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit that they are for today. 
The, the word is continuationist. But I'm a cautionary continuationist because, man, oh, man, you can run rampant with this stuff. I believe that they are for today. I desire, I desire to see God to do profound things within our midst, with us and in us, but I must acknowledge this fact, and so must you. Biblically and historically, miraculous outpourings of the Holy Spirit have rarely sustained the people of God for long. Very quickly, they begin to worship the outpouring rather than God. They start to look to the things that God can give. That's why Israel was complaining all the time. They didn't care about God. They just wanted him to give them stuff. People begin making the worship experience their worship. And if it's not this jazzed out thing with lights and smoke and you know, pedazzle, then it's just not worship. We start worshiping the experience. But what happens when that, when that happens that we're no longer worshiping God for God then. We are rather worshiping God for the experience that he can give. For his gifts. And this is universally true biblically and it's universally true in regard to church history. God pours out his spirit. It gets people jazzed up. But sooner enough they start worshiping that experience. And they try to go back and recreate that experience. It's called revivalism. And they try to go back and remake it happen. And we start worshiping that, the glory days, how God used to do it in our midst. So although I want the special presence of God to fall in this place, I want to see people healed of disease, I want the manifold, manifest presence of God to be here, I pray for that, I desire that, a type of revival that would sweep through our church and change everything, but I never, ever want to neglect the ordinary graces of God that make us by faith acknowledge that he is at work even if it's not this bedazzled thing, that he's moving, that he's doing something, and that I believe that by faith. So when we stood up and read the word of God together, he accomplished something. Earlier when I prayed, he accomplished something. God's accomplished something right now in this exchange that you and I are having. God is doing something right now. Do you believe it? It might be boring. It might not be spectacular. I don't even like to use the word boring, but that's what made me deem it. But he's doing it. It might not be spectacular, but he's in it. The understanding of, root, of this way of worship roots us in a way that the pep rally just can't. The pep rally gets you excited and jazzed out, but it, it leaves you high and dry when you're in the valleys of life. But I, oh, uh, but, and I, and it, so like, it, it, worship is not all about being peppy, smiley, raising your hands. It can be that. And I've had worship times like that, but I've also had worship times that have been produced out of deep, dark pain in my soul. This type of guttural worship where I can barely have the strength to lift my head. I don't even dare sing the words of the song because I will just begin to weep. And I'm worshiping God in anguish. And the Lord worked on my life in those moments in profound ways. And maybe you have been there. This type of worship that just causes you to sit and sob. But hear this truth and let it set you free today. According to scriptures, we have an empathetic high priest, which means God is never like, oh, come on already. Stop crying already. Don't you know I'm sovereign? Just celebrate. Like, you know I'm going to work it all out for your good. Romans 8, 28, man. Like, get your stuff together. I am a sovereign Lord. No, he's never like that. That's not his response. God never responds to worship that way. 
God knows that in our life we get scarred by many different things and that there are at times a type of wounding that scars us in such a way that we will carry those scars until we die for the rest of our lives. It will be a limp that we walk with for the rest of our lives. And in many ways, it can be redeemed by the Lord. And it can be used by the Lord as you get distant from the lost, as you get distant from the brokenness. It's not that the pain is all gone, it doesn't disappear, but we begin to see and understand that God is for us and that he's working on us and he is working in all things. So yes, we can move on and worship, but we still feel the sting every once in a while. And this is, right, this is the right understanding of worship. That it's not what I'm bringing, but it's about what God is doing. Because all I have to bring is brokenness and confusion of my own heart anyways. But God is active. God is at work. God is making a way. God is accomplishing something in me. And it makes worship something God is up to and not something that I have to bring. Or here's the key point, or I have to manufacture. That's really freeing. It's not about what you bring. It's about what God is doing. And what I'm trying to free you from here as I close is the idea that you have to perform in worship. What happens in worship is we, by faith, believe that God is working on us. And then in the gratitude, remember, is we respond to that. We don't have to bring our A game to worship. Just come in as you are and by faith believe that God is working. And then let the gratitude of our hearts pull you from there. It might pull you into dancing. It might pull you into crying. If a song resonates in you, with you and you want to sing louder and prouder, raise your hands, please do. No one's going to judge you. Well, maybe somebody will because we're imperfect, but, you know, who cares? But if you're here at church and it took all of your energy just to walk through these doors today, not just because it's, you know, New Year's Day, but rather because you're broken or you're exhausted or you're beat down by life or by kids, just come in and sit. Rest in his goodness. You don't have to perform. You don't have to clap. You don't have to raise your hands. Come and sit. Because you can put on a show all you want for the Christians sitting next to you. You can raise your hands and put a big smile on your face. You can do that weird thing that us men do when we tap our chest to the beat. I don't know why. But you, you can do all these things. And people might go, wow, she is so spiritual. Wow, he is so godly. But you never fool God. He knows. He knows that you're just putting on an act. The best way you can worship church is just to worship honestly. All of this is rooted in the reality that over the last hour and a bit, God has been working on you. The God of the universe has been working on us. As we gather together to worship him, he has been active today because we have been designed to love and celebrate and then we will ultimately share. And C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is, it, it is its appointed consummation. Lewis's argument is that joy isn't fully experienced until it's shared. This is why we're talking about the new restaurant. This is why we're talking about the new movie or the new device or our new house. Because to share it is to have it consummated with others. To keep it to ourselves kind of makes us feel constipated. You're just like, I need to tell someone about this. I want to bring them in. Someone needs to know about this. And Lewis's argument is, is that. That's why we're always talking about the things we love. Because we want to consummate it. This is why God is saying, don't neglect the gathering. Come in and share it. Celebrate. God is working on you. When we gather, God is transforming you if you feel it or not. God is at work here today, church. Rejoice. 
I don't know how you came in today. Some of you might have come in and skipped. Some of you might have limped. And I just want you to hear me that for the last hour and a bit, God has been at work in you. And that's awesome, whether you feel it or not. And when you understand that the gathering as the body is not so you can bring your A game, but rather so you can just come in and let God work on you, it will transform you and change how you share. Some of you are like, man, I'm too embarrassed to invite my friend because I feel worn out by trying to worship this God. Do I really even love him? It's because you're distracted. You're looking at how you perform. Rather, change your focus. Go, I'm coming in to just let God work on me. And whatever's produced out of that will be my worship. And that will transform you. That will make you celebrate and love and go, I can't wait for others to come into this. I want to share this with other people. So come in and participate in any way that you feel by sitting, by crying, by dancing, by raising your hands. If you dance, please keep it to the back. I'm just kidding. But come in and let God transform you and let's celebrate it together, amen?